Hey, Holons. Welcome back to Brilliant Perth. I've had a couple of months off the podcast. And I'm really excited uh, to be back with you all here for another season. This week on the show, I was incredibly fortunate to meet with Damon Gamow, who is an incredible film producer and creative from Melbourne, Victoria. So Damon was in town a few months ago for the release of 2040. And we got to catch up on RAC's Autonomous Bus and have a chat about his new documentary and about what Perth might be like in 2040. Hi. Hi. Right. Damon. Are we recording? Yeah, we're on. Okay. Uh, tell us a bit about, you've been in Perth for a few days. Yes. Have you visited us here before? Yes, many times. My dad lived here for uh, about six years up in the hills in Rolling Stones, so I spent a bit of time there, and, and then most jobs I've done, I've ended up coming over here to do some press, and always enjoy it, always enjoy the space. Today I've seen a couple of river dolphins, yep. so they don't get that where I live, and so, yeah, very happy. Fantastic. Really excited to have the opportunity to sit down and chat with you today about uh, the, your new film, 2040, uh, about your career and uh, everything from sort of the human side of systems change to sort of storytelling to the economy to, um, yeah, really happy to let, let this be a sort of open dialogue and let it go where it wants to go. Uh, the sort of motivations behind the podcast, uh, so the podcast is called Brilliant Perth mm-hmm. and it's around this narrative of um, Perth becoming the world's first brilliant city. Okay. Uh, so a brilliant city to me and, and to all these sort of, this is I think the 10th episode I've done now, yeah. uh, to me is about you know championing really uh, positive change towards whether it's a circular economy or um, you know designing out homelessness or um, you know sort of talking about well-being instead of talking about digital technology or, mm-hmm. or that sort of thing. So mm-hmm. yeah, really, really excited to spend the next sort of 25, 30 minutes chatting yeah. with you. Uh, I thought a fun way to start would be to connect. So you've made two incredible films. So I was, I was lucky enough to see the premiere um, on Friday night in Leaderville. What's the connection between sugar <laughs> and climate change? And can we... Um, like, to me, it's like, are, we, are you approaching our addiction to carbon? Like, you're approaching, mm. you were approaching our addiction to sugar? Yeah, I mean, if you want to do the deepest dive straight off the bat, let's do that. Um, yeah, I do think that fundamentally we have to look at why we have this rapacious need for growth in the same way that what, what are we lacking that we keep turning to sugary foods or why do we keep watching uh, reality TV shows? Is it what's wrong with our own lives that we're seeking externalities to fill us instead of being satisfied with what we have? And... I think ultimately it comes down to a system that we've designed that doesn't factor in the complexity of who we are as humans. It focuses on something very narrow, which is capital and money. But as we know, we, we, we value far more than just that. And those things aren't being measured, they're not being strived for, they're being neglected. So as a result, we're getting feedback at the moment. And the feedback is that something is fundamentally wrong. We're ecologically on the brink of destroying ourselves. And I think that socially, that we're also in a period of incredible instability because of the, the levels of inequality that we have now. So there are parallels, and, and I often feel that, you know, 
yeah, that why we crave that sugary drink is because we're 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 lacking something, and I see it in my daughter, my my toddler, when she's not being fulfilled, when I'm not giving her the time and I'm not present with her, she doesn't feel engaged and love. She seeks distraction. She looks outside herself. I feel it when I'm away from my family in a hotel room. I'm on the internet a lot more. I do crave sugary foods because they give me a false sense of security, and I, and I think that's a it's a very big issue to discuss, but I think that there's a lot of trauma in our society and a lot of uh, breakups and a lot of kids that have, uh, have grown up with something not quite right deep inside them. And so as a result, they're, they're seeking these things and they're seeking growth. And I um, spent a recent trip, I was lucky enough to go to Bhutan and I, I spent some wow. time at the Gross National Happiness Center and with a lot of philanthropists and, and really interesting people from around the world. And we sat in quite a few men's circles and it just became obvious how a lot of the men in those circles um, that have extraordinary amounts of money, uh, it was often there was a real there was a real pain around a relationship with a parent or a father, and they were seeking this validation. There was always a need to accumulate more and more, um, and that was coming from a broken place as opposed to feeling comfortable and, and settled. So there you go. We started off uh, right deep down. Let's see where it. we go from there. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. That's good. That's going to set the theme. <laughs> Tell us about, was there a moment when you knew the 2040 film would happen? I really loved on Friday night when you shared the story about, about raising the money. Yeah, so we were part of this um, organisation called Good Pitch and they choose six films and they, they put you in a room with about 500 philanthropists at the Opera House and you've got seven minutes to basically share what film you want to make and you've got to show a two-minute um, clip and it was just this extraordinary reaction. Um, in seven minutes, we, we, we raised almost $2 million just from people saying, look, I've got three daughters, I care about this, I'll give you $100,000. Or someone else say, I'll give you $40,000. And it just, um, it was, a, I guess, a sense of how desperate people are for a positive story, that we're ready for a new narrative, they want to hear about solutions, and how people, they do care, you know, like it's, um, a lot of the time I think we're led to believe that people are disengaged because they don't care but I, I don't think that's always the case I think they just don't understand it properly and also it is incredibly hard it's such an intangible thing like climate change like where do you start it's beyond me it's too existential so I think people are ready to be told really simple points of action that they can engage with because I think that's kind of what's been missing is that we, we've diagnosed the problem exceptionally well we've done that we really know what's going on um, with minute detail, but we haven't used the same energy to explore the solutions and what can be done about it. And I just feel the time is right to start shifting that spotlight uh, onto the solutions. Mm. Was there so like when you transitioned from doing that sugar film and that sugar movement to mm. climate change, like was mm. there a sort of a point where you're like, I'm going to make another film? Uh, yeah, there was a moment quite early actually where I just, I, I guess from Sugar I saw how powerful film can be as a medium and, and it's its all storytelling isn't it really yeah. and, and the more research you do, I've, I've especially looked at um, some of the stories that probably the far right in America have been telling, some of the fossil fuel industries what they've been telling and they've done an, an exceptional job of telling that story and they really have, you can almost find a, a moment where it started to happen where this narrative emerged of really sort of shutting down anything about um, any you know, government interference or protecting the environment was always always going to be damaging to growth and that was a constructive story that, that they've told so I feel it's important if we are going to turn this around that we need to tell equally as compelling stories and, and that's where film plays an enormous role so I, I would really hope that 
storytellers of any description get involved, whether it's poets or songwriters or artists, that now's the time to really speak out very loudly and talk about what kind of uh, world we want to live in. Yeah. So you, you got to travel the world as part of the 2040 film and movement. Was there a particular sort of culture or context that inspired you more than others? Uh, I guess probably the, the most revealing thing was how far behind the rest of the world Australia is. You know, that, that yeah. was kind of disturbing. Um, just to see what people take for granted in some countries, especially the Northern European countries, Sweden and stuff. They don't even talk about sort of environment or climate stuff. It's, they're so far beyond that because they, they intrinsically understand how important nature is to their community and to their culture. So they all just respect the parks and look after it. They do whatever they can to protect it. They're not having these kind of silly debates that we're having in Parliament. Um, and as you saw, you know, they're, they're, they've got these bins out the front of their, their homes where they collect the food waste and they use that to extract energy and run their buses off it and then they give the leftovers to farmers to help their soil. I mean, you know, I can dream that we might be doing that in 10 years, but they're already doing it. And it was the same in Bangladesh, seeing how this, you know, uh, apparently developing nation is already 30 years ahead of us in terms of how they're distributing energy in microgrids and um, sharing that energy and not going through a centralised provider. So there were just countless examples of that um, where I just saw countries that, yeah, that were, were, were streaks ahead of us. Uh, and that's, um, yeah, I think we've got a, an incredible opportunity to lead the world in lots of areas, especially solar. I mean, we should be we should be exporting solar to all of Southeast Asia and being, you know, the world's leader in that space. And yet here we are still debating and having our, our, our Prime Minister bring a lump of coal into Parliament. It's... Um, you know, it defies belief sometimes. Mm. I'd really love to sort of dive more into what's happening in Australia, in mm. WA, and what you're seeing, because you're based in Victoria, Melbourne. Yeah. Um, and I think we'll get there maybe a bit later, but mm. let's talk about, because what, what I think, what amazed me, like, when I walked out of the cinema on Friday was, and, and I sort of met you, and I said, you know, storytelling is one of the most critical skills of our time to be mm. able to package up complexity and mm. all these wicked problems in the world mm. and tell a story and, and you've done that by sort of engaging with children yeah which is something so many people relate to like Andy and I have sat in um, rooms here in Perth and pitched to some quite senior business leaders about circular economy and they've started talking about their kids yeah. and how they've you know um, stopped using single-use plastic in their That's lifestyle right. or their yeah. um, they sold one of their cars and that sort of thing mm. um was so excited and congratulations to hear that the film is will be in mainstream cinemas mm. in Australia. Mm. Uh, how did that come about? I know you've pushed and done so much work mm. to do that. Um, yeah, I guess it's just that uh, we're in a different time now than even we were five years ago. That the fact that these cinemas would even consider that, uh, I think Kmart and Big W both bought you know ten thousand copies of the book as well, and, and so, said this is the first time they've ever bought something to do with the environment. <laughs> so. Um, you know, the times are changing and, and sometimes we forget that and we get so caught up in the day-to-day -day bickering and we get distracted by that. And again, it's important, I think, to remind people that there is progress happening and it's there are people out there doing remarkable things that genuinely do care on a deep level and, and we need to be propping them up, them up more and giving them more support and spotlight than we currently do mm. to inspire and motivate other people to join in. And, you know, we're social creatures. If um, someone grabs a bucket of water and puts out a fire, our tendency is to grab a bucket and help them and put out that fire. And I think research shows now that even putting up a solar panel in your house sends a signal to your neighbour and they're much more likely to put a solar panel on their house themselves. So 
we, we, we can't underestimate the power of those social norms or those simple behaviours that we do, which, um, yes, we need large structural change, but it's really important that we start making these, that we set the tone to, for each other and, and establish, um, you know, what, what is accepted in society. And I just think the, um, back to your point around storytelling, I feel that this is the crux of it, that, that this is these metaphors that we tell ourselves and how we describe our world is exactly how we manifest our world. And if you look back pre-scientific revolution, the way we talked about nature was entirely different. I mean, Aboriginals talked about it as custodians of the land. The Egyptians called nature as a giving parent. Um, the Chinese used metaphors like reverent guests of the land. And then you get Bacon come in, you get Descartes, and suddenly they're talking about na nature in a very different way. It's a, mm. it's conquering her, it's taming and hounding her and wanderings. And um, there's a really inflammatory call that Bacon said about, um, you know, to invade and penetrate her every hole and corner. Like this is a very different way of looking at nature. And I think it's no accident that since that time, we have viewed it that way. We've extracted, we've taken from it, we've dominated it, instead of understanding that we're in intricately interwoven with it and, and how it operates. So reclaiming that metaphor is one of the most important things we can do and mm. we're not going to do that unless we start telling new stories and using a certain language again um, that actually brings it back to connecting us and that's why that first sketch in the in the film I, I did, used a home I said this is our home and this is yeah. what we're doing to our home to try and get people to understand that metaphor this isn't an externality that we can just trash and then move on to the next planet although some people are discussing that it's actually understanding that we rely on this and when we do damage to a monarch butterfly or a bee that we're actually ultimately going to destroy ourselves by doing that yeah well you've done all this great work like how do you and 2040 is going to be rolled out in all these cinemas across Australia and a lot of people, like I even think Friday Night was fantastic, but a lot of people that come to the cinema are sort of already the, the converted. How do you, through, and we'll, I think we'll talk more about the 2040 movement mm. that you're creating, uh, how do you get the sort of mainstream into the cinema to be exposed mm. to what you're doing? Is that, do you think about that a lot in terms of you've done all this great work now, we just need to get it to people? Get, of course you do. That's yeah. the risk you take, you know, and, and yeah. really that's, that's beyond your control. That's something I can't control. I just have to hope that you've made a product that's connecting with people yeah. and that they feel impassioned enough to tell five or six friends or family members and then that's how it spreads exponentially and that's what we saw with Sugar in a sense is that that, you know, it was the highest grossing doco ever in Australia because people don't go to the cinema these days. Yeah. It's very easy to stay and, and watch on Netflix. But um, again, that's why it's so important for people to be active in this as well. It's not up to just me. I really need people that have seen the film to genuinely share it on their channels or tell people to go and see it or get their school to see it or put on a screening at their work or in their community. This isn't something we can be passive in and, and this whole topic is actually again asking all of us to step up and find our agency. Um, it's the Robert Swan quote I mentioned yeah. the other night, you know, the greatest threat to the planet is the belief that someone else will save it. There's no one, there's no one else. We know our leaders aren't going to do it. We actually have, we're being called into action here and if that means simply getting a family or someone to go and see the film, then great. Just that's yeah. the first and simple thing you can do because then once people see it, there's a new language, there's a new conversation to have. Whereas if they haven't seen it, then it's very hard to, to, to communicate. Um, you do need to, and that's why you make films is so everyone can share that information and knowledge. So look, all the things are in place. The cinemas have agreed to do it. We've got a ton of publicity around Australia that I'm about to do that I hope the film will at least be known about. Um, but I feel like what we're up against is that people going, oh, it's an environment film. Yeah, no, I'm not going to see that. <laughs> and whereas, as you know, it's not really an environment film or it's, it's framed as a very different to that. So we're battling against that. And we found that once people have seen the film, 
as you saw on Friday night. They're very excited to share it. And um, one of the best things happened the other night in uh, in another cinema. I was just going to bring that up. Yeah. I saw that on the socials. Yeah, yes. we had a lady come up to me afterwards and sign the book. And she said, look, <laughs> to be honest, I... I came to this cinema to see the Avengers, but I walked into the wrong cinema. <laughs> and, uh, she said, I kept going to stand up and leave, and I go, oh, this is so interesting. And I kept going, and then I just stayed for the whole thing, and she said, you've really changed my mind, and I, I've just, I can't believe what I've learnt. So, you know, there's something in that, you know. Do we try and get Palace to do a deliberate swap of Avengers in 24 just for the next <laughs> couple of months? If they really want to help the planet, come on, you can do it. So, yeah, it's, um, you know, whatever it takes to get people into the film, I think once yeah. they see it, we can have a very different conversation. Yeah, amazing. You're really catalyzing the movement across all levels, but let's talk a little bit about the brave leadership that's required to really tackle you mm. know, climate change. Mm. And in Australia, you know, I've, my generation is really inspired by people like Jacinda Ardern oh, yeah. in New Zealand and this sort of movement away from let's quantify well-being instead of yeah. economic growth. And you mentioned sort of Bhutan and that. Yeah. Do you see the brave leadership? Do you see it in Australia? Do you see it emerging? How, how can we sort of catalyze, uh, I see like, you know, in pockets in, in WA, I see leaders in, mm. you know, uh, running co-working spaces, starting businesses. I see, yeah. you know, my friends quitting their jobs as accountants, as engineers going, there's a better way I'm going to be part of it. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's getting there, but yeah, like in, like, well, I think what you're seeing is the leadership, not at the political level, but in some way, because people have lost complete faith in the political system and, mm. and, and it's that's what I guess is sad is that especially younger generation there's no one they can relate to and we have such inauthenticity from our leaders as well is that there's they're the least noble amongst us they're the least visionary amongst us and so it's very hard to engage or be passionate about politics anymore and that's a great tragedy because there can be change made at that level as we've seen yeah. with Jacinda or other people so yeah we need a real reinvigoration of that and, and to find new ways and I think too that if you look especially the last 20 years, leaders have shied away from visions and creating, you know, what could be. And they've really turned to more, um, we'll build you more walls, we'll protect you. Those are the bad people we need to keep out of this country. It's become a very reductionist way of leading and protecting as opposed to visioning. And I think that's uh, what we're desperately needing and why even people are responding to 2040. So because it's just, a, it's a vision. They might not agree with it, that's fine. But let's at least throw up some visions to discuss and debate. Because then we can actually only move into a new world when we can see it and talk about it. And at the moment, we're not getting that. So, um, you know, I, I do think that there are elements of our political system, especially in Australia, that we're, we're lucky compared to other countries of the world. Yeah. But um, it would just be wonderful to, to think that there was a few leaders or you could spot already that might be emerging with some of these values. But I, I don't see too many at the moment, which is a bit disconcerting. And um, but there are places around the world. Iceland, again, have just uh, got a female prime minister who's very similar to Jacinda as well. Yeah. And you look at the way they even dealt with their bankers and the corruption, they locked them up in prison. You know, they actually said, you destroyed our economy, you should be penalised accordingly and, and actually put them into prison. Yeah. You know, and yet in America or here, we'd never do that. We'd give them a light tap on the wrist and you know what, they go back out and they make even more money than they did before. That's actually not getting us anywhere. So. Um, more than ever, we need brave leadership, and, and, and I hope we get it. But until yeah. we do, it's important that it happens at a, at a, at a business level uh, with these climate strikes, all these other areas that are actually showing uh, politicians how it should be done. Yeah. I was out on the terrace here a few weeks ago for the climate strike in Perth, and mm. I've actually enjoyed bringing that up on the show and asking people, you know, sometimes it's a bit taboo, and you know, <laughs> if, you're, if you're interviewing someone on behalf of their organisation, they, they don't want to talk no, about it. No, it's so funny, isn't it? And yeah. yet, it's so bizarre, because it's the greatest, it's the greatest, mo like, challenge to our 
to us as a species and we can't talk about it. And, yeah. and how backward is that? And that sort of says everything about the system we've created. So, um, but no, these kids, uh, they are remarkable. And I, and I do think um, they're not going to stop. And they're so passionate, they're so fired up that, you know, history shows that when, when, when a group of people this driven and passionate, they usually get their way. Mm. So one thing that Andy and I have seen in the local context here and what's really inspiring us with our work uh, in this sort of circular economy space, and you featured um, Kate Rarworth in the film around donut economics, mm. um, but we're seeing is there's a quite, well, there was a really progressive industry group here called the Waste Authority, and they, they lobbied and pushed government really hard to get circular economy into the state's waste strategy to 2030. Right. Yeah. So we're sort of trying to build a bit of a unity around you know entrepreneurs, innovators, um, people in the waste space to go, it's in government policy now. Yeah. Um, we can sort of hold them to that. Right. Um, which gets me really excited. But sort of what, and, and I think that's, there's, we've seen stuff in South Australia and in mm-hmm. um, Queensland, Victoria, Victoria's done yep, developing a definitely. circular economy yeah, strategy and policy mm-hmm. for 2020. On that sort of theme, I'd love to talk because that's something, a context we both share in terms of circular economy. Mm. What do you say to sort of, the leaders of Perth or to the leaders of Australia mm. that sort of this is coming it's inevitable yeah. um, how do yeah is there, is there yeah a, so there's um there's a great there's a great study by the um, uh, Sustainable Europe Institute and they looked at so the amount of resources that we consume currently is around 90 billion metric tons around mm. the world so that's you know looking at logging deforestation cattle fish minerals metals all the things we're using the sustainable level is about 50 billion metric tons. So we, we crossed that in the year 2000. And at current growth rates, we're projected to consume 180 billion metric tons by 2050. So anyone with any understanding of math, math says that's an absolute impossibility and will wipe out every living thing on the planet. But again, this is, a, this is a conversation that is just so far removed from the mainstream. I saw even in the paper this morning in Perth that you know, they had record growth last year for anywhere in Australia. It was a 9% growth. Now, if we keep growing at 9% a year, that's, that means our economy is going to be somewhere, I don't know, 60, 70 times bigger than what it is right now. So that's 60 to 70 times more plastics, more minerals being used. It's an impossible conundrum we're in. And yet it's not discussed because the minute a government even talks about a potential going to a recession or losing growth in a year, they're going to be kicked out of office. Or any country that does that, they're going to lose their place, as Kate says, in the G20 family photo. Mm-hmm. So, again, this is one of those incredibly frustrating parts of this system that no one's willing to discuss because of this addiction to growth and this narrative that we've just, you know, that's what we've done. And we need to understand how important that is coming out of a post-war era that, you know, growth was seen as the way to prosperity. And so, again, we're at an inter... What Jonathan Salk says, an intersection point when we're meeting these two realities of, of this group of people that really grew up believing growth was the only way and now a younger generation coming through saying, hang on, if we keep doing that, we're going to destroy ourselves. So we really need to create a space to have these uh, adult conversations without it descending into sort of this, you know, left-right banter and narrative. These are the facts. It's simple. It's like the climate. Let's actually rise above all that polemic arguing and say this is actually about us surviving as a species. And unless we talk about this endless growth conundrum, unless we find ways to make our economy more circular and use resources in a smarter way, we're actually not going to survive. It's as simple as that. And how do we get that through? You know, um, this isn't just the sort of the rantings of some kind of left-leaning ideology. It's just trying to protect our home and our kids' future. Um, so I think just as renewables are in the in the conversation now and climate change, it's really important. Maybe the circular economy is the next big discussion we need to have. We know it's permeating. You know, it's coming through at certain levels. 
But um, I think at that top level of corporate, we're still, you know, they might talk about it and say they're doing it and, and put we're circular on one of their labels, but um, to yeah, do it properly, it's probably as to as to a few years away. Yeah. I love your passion. Yeah. Tell me a little bit, maybe more of a personal note about like burnout in trying to be a systems change maker. <laughs> You, you're looking at it right now. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm literally five Q&As into a uh, 45 Q&A tour of the country, and um, including school visits and press and all that sort of stuff. And it's 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 a real balance because I do love it and I do care deeply about my daughter's future and all her friends. And um, I love what I do, but yeah, if it comes at the cost of my own health, then I'm not good to anyone. And I've, I've sort of learnt those lessons a few times. I, I did on sugar and even making this film I had a couple of pretty big health scares so um, it's tricky to switch off sometimes and you know as you probably know you can know too much sometimes and, it, and ignorance yeah. is bliss sometimes but um, I feel a responsibility now I guess to, to try and communicate this information to people because I know they're ready for it and I really believe in human beings and I just I, I love people and yes there are a few psychopaths out there to get in the way but they are absolutely the minority they are a tiny 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 percent but they just end up being in leadership positions or CEO positions which is you know the mess we're in but I, I do believe that um, the majority of humans genuinely care they're altruistic they value um, you know the goodwill of other humans and they do love their planet and they care for it so if we can engage them there's a really um, powerful army ready and willing to engage and to, and to get on board so um, I'll do whatever I can to um, to recruit more. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You've got two big advocates right here. <laughs> I'm sure hundreds other that have you know were lucky yeah. enough to see the the early premieres, and yeah. we'll definitely do our, our darndest here in Perth when it gets released in May 23. And yeah, well, I think as you said before, it's um, you know, 2040. I think is is an opportunity to not this 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 old paradigm's dead now of centralized power, centralized authority, and even of you know one white guy trying to tell everyone what to do it's like we, we've just got to let all that go and actually decentralize and that's the, that's the new power structure is how do we all come together combine our powers and then we're infinitely more powerful and that's how we'll get it done we can't rely on one person anymore yep. even as a leader we can't wait, wait for that magical politician like Jacinda to come through and wave the wand because even yep. that's not going to be enough we all need to step up and find our own agency and do it together yeah we had a little chat on Friday night about you, you mentioned um there was a question on uh, decentralised energy uh, systems in Australia and you're doing some work with Red Grid mm. in Victoria and um, Andy's actually talking at a, we just started a Holochain meetup group in Perth right. and we're trying to sort of spread that narrative within the sort of tech innovation scene. Mm. Excellent. Um, yeah. Tell us a bit about the work you're doing. I think it's maybe an, an, a nice time with the listeners of the 2040 is a movement. It's so much more than a film. It's an, it's an innovation ecosystem. Yeah, I guess it's just, for me, it was never enough just to have a film that, that, that you, you, if you want to open people up a little bit, you then have to give them somewhere to go and give them um, ways to get involved and create action. So we worked with a company called Purpose, who's um, Jeremy Hyman's company, and he teamed up with some people that ran Obama's campaign in the US and also Bernie Sanders' campaign. And they did something uh, last year for the, the US elections called Crush the Midterms, and it was just basically an online uh, quiz that just sort of um, you got to input things you're interested in and what you connect with and that really told you which areas to vote in and how to vote. And so we've kind of used a similar model here and, and given people their own climate action plan. So you go on and you answer some questions about, you know, the type of person you are, what you're interested in, how much time you have available, if you want to give money, can you do that? 
but in particular what you resonated with in the film, so that it connects to your own passions. You're not just being told to, hey, drive a Tesla and eat less meat, because that might not be what you like. Uh, you might connect with educating girls or seaweed in the film. So here's some things you can do. So once you've answered those questions, you get delivered your own personalised action plan. So I just felt that was really important. And then we've been lucky enough to, I guess, get some philanthropic support to actually bring to life some of these things. So the seaweed platform would be the first one in Australia. Uh, there's an initiative called Carbon 8, which is uh, we've teamed up with some farmers where you can just make a donation every month and that money pays farmers to put the carbon back into their soil. Uh, and again, uh, something with Red Grid here, they just worked at Monash University and, and done almost like a microgrid with their main buildings at the university to share the power amongst the buildings. Yeah. And uh, they're really starting to move to the next level and they're actually going to do an equity crowdfund. So you can own a part of the business and be part of an early adopter in this revolution. And we're really going to sort of promote that as well and say, let's bring that microgrid technology like you saw in Bangladesh and start using it in Australia and really put pressure on the government to sort of uh, reduce some of the regulations they've got in place now to allow it to happen because it isn't there at the moment. Yeah. But once everything's in place, as soon as those regulations change, um, they'll be able to just rapidly um, upscale this technology. Yeah. I suppose I'm conscious of we've probably only got about five more minutes before mm-hmm. you, you look like you're ready for bed, but before you've probably got a, six more interviews for the rest of the day. Um, do you think part of it is, like one of the things, even since I've met Andy and been working with him and got in, into the circular economy space and what I love about technologies like Holochain and this sort of movement of decentralised energy and is it's, it comes back to humanity's relationship with technology yeah. and there's a lot of like, you know, even I've, I've seen stuff on how Facebook kind of rigged the Brexit and mm-hmm. the, the American elections and stuff. Like mm-hmm. that, to me, that's that needs to really shift and I see yeah. a lot of hope in you know, Holochain could create the future internet, like a more ethical that's right. internet that will drive a new economy. Well, that's what's funny, isn't it? That we, 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 you know, this period of 80s where we embrace this neoliberal way of doing things is that we, we, we did it because we wanted to take away centralised power from governments and we've ended up flipping it and giving it all to the tech companies. So, you know, Google and Facebook now have this enormous power over us without us even knowing it. And I don't think that's the way we operate. That's not the way that nature operates. It's, um, you know, especially what biology is telling us now, this the interconnectedness of the fact that you know trees are even talking to each other now and sending nutrients to each other to survive the way the soil operates and you know these um interconnectors with the fungus and the you know nature is showing us that we 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 need to share and we're much more powerful when we learn off each other and share so that decentralized model just feels so natural just feels like the way to go uh Mm. yes we're going to still need authority in some areas we're going to need rules and regulations i think it's important to say that that we're you know, we can be like toddlers sometimes. If we don't have boundaries, we tend to destroy things. And that's why we raise our kids with boundaries. But we don't have any boundaries for our economy. It's just this never-ending linear thing that keeps going up and up and up and up and up. And at some point, we say, well, hang on, where's the boundaries? Because otherwise, we destroy ourselves. So I think the technology is on our side for the very first time and allows us to make decisions to govern to with the blockchain to have more secure corrupt free ways of interacting with each other and sharing our energies and creating new currencies um, so that's all incredibly exciting as long as we find more efficient ways to generate the energy to power those things otherwise we're just going to fly off the cliff as well um, given how much energy some of those things are, are requiring but um, yeah there's, there's no short of things we need to do we, we've got a lot of um, serious discussions to have moving forward it's not all just going to happen um, but at least we know the technology is on our side and it's available. It's just, it's a tool and how we use it is up to us. Mm. One last question for you. Mm-hmm. Let's pretend it's 2040 
Okay. We're in this driverless bus. We're in this driverless bus. Right, which are everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. You're back in Perth. You know, we've... Andy and I have done all this amazing work in circular economy. The 2040, you're probably doing like... Oh, God, no, 2060, the 2060. There's about 400 river dolphins are swimming by, thriving seaweed pot out there in the river. Yeah. Yeah. Perth's a brilliant city. There's all these amazing things happening. Green buildings. Absolutely. What's what's the what's the sort of one element that makes that makes Perth a brilliant city? I guess what's the <laughs> what's the most important element in twenty it's twenty forty. What's your favourite thing about Perth? My favourite thing about Perth in twenty forty is the um, the decision your government made about 10 years ago called intergenerational equity and they put a mining cap because they realised it was starting to influence the um, future generations and steal the resources. That was really great what you guys did there. And then how much nature has been brought back into your city. So because it's been redesigned with more driverless cars and less parking space, it's just such a great city to ride your bike around, walk. I mean, I just got some food from that rooftop garden on top of the Rio Tinto, what used to be the Rio Tinto building. They do a great rooftop garden there. And then I just got a zip line over the top of the next building and I sort of went for a walk around there, had a swim on their route. Just great to see how much nature and bees and birds are around the city. So um, good on you, Perth. I love your um, brilliant city in 2040. Brilliant. Damon Gamia, <laughs> thank you so much for your time. No worries, guys. Thank you. Now I'm going to bed. <laughs> uh, well done, mate. Very good questions. Wow. I really enjoyed that chat with Damon. There was a moment at the end when I asked him uh, what Perth might be like in 2040 and we both looked out uh, RAC's bus, the beautiful Swan River, and I, I could see the future. Uh, really inspiring guy. Um, I really encourage the listeners out there to jump on uh, jump on to whatsyour2040.com. Go and see the movie first if you haven't already. There's heaps of screenings around Australia. It's now in uh, mainstream cinemas as well, and I'm sure you can grab it online. Uh, I'll put the links uh, in the details of the podcast. So moving forward, uh, really keen to build on uh, the Brilliant Perth uh, episode so far. I've really enjoyed getting um, incredible feedback from everyone within the community, but I really want to focus uh, more around circular economy. So if you know anyone uh, that's working in this space, uh, that might be a business, uh, someone who's really interested, um, I'd love for you to put them in touch with me. Um, I do have a couple of people lined up for the next few weeks, so um, I won't be putting out podcasts weekly. Uh, I'll probably be targeting a podcast once a month. Uh, but yeah, as usual, um, like and subscribe. Um, check out our website, holonic.com.au and have a brilliant week. We'll see you next month. Thanks, Holons. <laughs>